Welcome to Singing Teachers Talk, the podcast that brings you great interviews, insightful discussions and advice around the topic of singing and teaching singing. Now it's over to your host for today's episode. It's me, Alexa Terry. Hello, today I'm in the company of an award-winning singing teacher, researcher of voice and inventor of the SOVT straw. He is also a featured presenter for Vocal Health Education, where he demonstrates some of his work utilising straws for optimal vocal health. And he is the author of Singing Through a Straw Can Make You an Awesome Singer. It's a pleasure to introduce Oren Boda. How are you, Oren? I'm great now. That was a cracking intro. <laughs> that was really cool. Honestly, everybody's just like, he's a guy. He likes straws. Hello. I love that. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> you can pay me later. It's fine. <laughs> um, congratulations on the book, by the way. Um, it, how does it feel to finally have that out there for people to soak up? Yeah, it's a bit surreal, really, seeing, and I had this with the other products that we released, like, having something that has been in your brain for so long as an idea that then gets put into kind of like a virtual format on the computer and then into a physical thing that you can hold is really weird. It's really weird to go through that process and to hold it, but it's amazing to see everybody like reading it and using it. Um, I get little pictures every now and then of people with their book. It's cool. It is cool. Honestly, um, I never really got the hype of like, uh, you know, authors doing like book signings and stuff. And I, I didn't really quite get it until I'd actually written a book. Like somebody asked me to sign one the other day and I was like, why? <laughs> why do you want that? It's cool. <laughs> that does sound really cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always really interested in um, the writing process and how that looks for you. Uh, we spoke to John Henney about his writing process for his book series. And he said it was, you know, before people woke up in the morning, he'd have his coffee and he'd have a dedicated hour or so before people woke up. So what did that look like for you in your schedule as a as a vocal coach and all the other things that you do? Yeah, so I, mm, I don't know if my process was perhaps a bit abnormal compared to like how most people would typically write a book. I, I've kind of been working on this for a long time a few years but not in book format i do a lot of lecturing and i do a lot of um uh, like slides and all of that kind of stuff so i had pretty much all of the content i would need for the book already out there so i sort of cheated a little bit and i got um an ai transcription service and i basically just put all of my content through the ai transcription service and it just like copied out everything I've ever said on the topic. And I just went through and I was like, yeah, that sounds cool. I'll take that and I'll put it in the book. And then, you know, I just tweak it a little bit and then take some more stuff. And it was honestly, literally like I would go to bed at four o'clock in the morning or wake up at four o'clock in the morning. And I would just write for hours and hours and hours. Once I'd taken that, that sort of seed of an idea almost and put it on the page mm-hmm. It for me, it just felt so easy to follow that train of thought. I guess because it was already something I'd like taught to other people, and it was mm. yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah, just a, a, a lot of late nights, a lot of early mornings, and a lot of AI. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I guess it just goes to show how useful it actually is for a vocal coach to put out there either free content oh, yeah. in like blogs articles or youtube videos or yeah. via lectures you've been paid or put into institutions to deliver and um, because they can pay off in something um like passive income for you down the line um with everything you've kind of already done so it's worth doing yeah absolutely it's it, it kind of just forms evergreen content that you can reuse anywhere and everywhere. Um, you know, you see people now creating sort of longer form content for, for something like YouTube, and then they'll cut up smaller bits and put it on TikTok and Instagram and whatever. Um, I just, I guess I just took it to the next stage and I just had it transcribed and then put it in a book. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it, I would definitely recommend having big sort of pools of 
of stuff that you can draw from and create other content from it it's it makes the process easier if it's already something that you're teaching to be honest as well so mm. yeah uh, and yeah. I've got my copy. It's uh, I'm about halfway through. I'm really, really enjoying it. It's a, it's a struggle to put down. It's it's funny. It's really informative. It's it's very um, accessible and understandable and digestible. So it's uh, yeah, it's definitely an enjoyable read. So I've got my post-it notes sticking out the top. So yeah, loving it. Um, so it's your work is kind of all. Um, well, not all based around, but a lot of it, it for the book is is based on SOVTs. Um, and they're a very valuable part of the teacher's toolbox. So can you, as Mr. SOVT man, <laughs> can you remind us what an SOVT is and why it's useful to the singer? Yeah, sure. So SOVT just stands for semi-occluded vocal tract. And semi-occluded vocal tract is just a super fancy way of saying that there is some kind of partial closure of the vocal tract at any point above the vocal folds. So when we talk about partial closure, it's not uh, like, you know, you've got like a, a blockage specifically, but it's manipulating either the tongue position or the position of the lips or by using uh, a straw to still allow a little bit of airflow out, but not as much as you would usually do if you're just singing out of your mouth normally. Um, and so, by doing this process of semi-occluding, you, you sort of intuitively get an idea of what's going on. If we restrict the amount of air that can escape the system, airflow and air pressure that can escape the system, it's got to go somewhere. And so where does it go? It gets reflected back and it reinteracts with the vocal folds from above, which is super, super important because all the work that we do as singers is we drive energy from the lungs towards the bottom of the vocal folds. Stuff happens at the bottom of the vocal folds. The vocal folds part and start vibrating, and then the air moves out of the body. That air pressure and acoustic energy is then completely useless. It's wasted to us because it exits the mouth and it just travels into infinity. You know, it might bounce off some walls and you can hear that sound again but you can't use that energy for anything else other than listening. So when we trap it in the system and kind of make it go back to the top of the vocal folds, it reinteracts with the vocal folds. And so instead of wasting that energy that we've just exerted, you know, into the atmosphere, we reuse it and recycle it. So we create a more efficient phonatory environment. We create a system by which we are, uh, in training the vocal folds. And so in training basically just means we take what we've just done and we give it back to the, to the system to allow that system to produce that same thing more easily. Um, and, you know, there's, there's all sorts of other benefits, like it uh, subtly increases the size of the vocal tract spaces. Um, we have all sorts of different sort of massaging effects if we do different configurations of the straw and stuff like that. But it's basically a, a mechanism by which we can create efficiency at the vocal fold level. We can sing with ease and we can also use it therapeutically or athletically, depending on how we want to train the voice. So it's kind of like a Swiss army knife of uh, techniques that can assist us in realistically whatever we want to do as, as singers. Mm. It's pretty cool. It is cool. It's really cool. Uh, and your product, the SOVT straw, and we'll come on to that in a little bit, um, kind of relies on the knowledge of this air pressure system and how to use it for whatever you're trying to achieve. Um, and in your book, you discuss kind of the understa understanding the respiratory system and mm -hmm. how phonation occurs. Mm -hmm. which is a really tricky thing to get your head around, I feel. Um, something for sure that I've studied uh, quite a bit, get my head around the differences and the effects that are going on. Um, and as we know, relationships can sometimes be confusing. <laughs> and I feel like if these systems had a social media platform of their own, they'd have this relationship status as it's complicated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so understanding the physics and how things interrelate um, can be confusing, um, potentially because of how inverse 
that relationship is. So for example, when we're, we're doing some breathing work, we're ideally looking for the belly to swell out when we breathe in. Mm-hmm. And I feel even that sometimes just gets our head a little bit spinny. Um, so can you help us to understand kind of how this then progresses into volume and rate of airflow and pressure and how we can easily understand this? Mm. Yeah, it, it it is a tricky thing because there's there's a lot of terminology that people probably haven't heard since they were in high school. And then there's a lot of confusing, like you said, you've got inverse relationships. So an inverse relationship is as one thing does something, it, the other does the opposite, basically. Um, and, the, the, you know, an example of this in the respiratory system is uh, if we are trying to get air out of the body, we decrease the size of the lungs. So the lungs get smaller, but the pressure increases which to a lot of people is like, oh, but if we're making the lungs smaller, surely everything should be smaller. But I think a really good way to look at this, and I I love using balloons to help with these kind of ideas. If you fill up a balloon, that balloon has a certain pressure. doesn't matter what that pressure is. It's got a certain pressure. If you then squeeze that balloon really, 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 really tight what what do we typically expect will happen? We expect it will probably pop. And it will pop because we are increasing the pressure inside the balloon by squeezing it. And it just so happens that by squeezing it, it's also making the balloon smaller. Basically, we're just kind of ramming all of these molecules together so they get really, really condensed. And as they try and exaggerate and excite each other, eventually the balloon's going to pop. Now, if we did that to the lungs and we squeeze, 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 and we don't let any air out, we're going to have a bit of a problem. But by default, our biology is built with this really cool kind of safety mechanism almost that once we reach a certain level of pressure within the lungs, so once we've squeezed our lungs so small into oblivion that the pressure increases so much, the vocal folds will actually go, Uh uh-uh, I ain't dealing with this. And they'll just open and they'll release that pressure. So it's a pressure valve, basically. Um, And we have, you know, we've got pressure valves on so many things. We have pressure safety valves and overflow valves on all of the plumbing in your houses, for instance, because if one part gets blocked, we don't want a, a, a pipe to burst and spill water everywhere. We want it to safely evacuate the house. And so it will go to a, a relief valve. So with the lungs, when we, exhale, which is the primary process by which we achieve phonation. We don't phonate on the in-breath, although you can do it. Um, We reduce that lung space. We make them small. We increase the pressure until we get to a point where the vocal folds are a bit unhappy and they'll go, actually, you know what? We'll just open now and and you can let all of that that pressure out. Mm -hmm. And then by opening, we then have some other sort of smaller pressure systems that occur that have other different relationships that then cause the vocal folds to close again. And then that pressure builds up from the lungs again, and then they'll open. And then we've got those pressure systems at the vocal folds that close again. And you see how the cycle kind of emerges. Um, but yeah, it's, it is, it's scary when you sort of see it like, Oh, you know, we've got Boyle's law and we've got Bernoulli's principle. We've got, you know, Newton's, third law of you know blah 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 and it's just strip it all back who we don't care about that forget all of that think about balloons squeeze a balloon it pops squeeze a balloon but you put a tiny little hole in it air will come out and that balloon won't pop and you can regulate how fast or slow that air comes out by the amount of squeeze you apply to that balloon and that's the same as, as the lungs, really. The lungs are just two balloons, and we can change the state of those balloons to either regulate airflow in and out or change pressure states in and out that basically allow us to sing. Um, I don't know if that was more confusing for people, but I hope that's somewhat <laughs> useful. <laughs> no, I think the balloon the balloon analogy and, and relating it to that is is cool. And you have a really fun craft 
activity in your book with made, yeah. making your bottle of lungs, which I'm going to get to. I mean, I'm crap at craft. <laughs> that is for sure. <laughs> but I'm going to give it a go, damn it. <laughs> and uh, it will be a really good one. Yeah, it's pretty fun, actually. I, I kind of rewrote that section of the book a few times because the the one, the version that I have uh, that I made myself um, actually uses an old glass lantern, um, which if you have that as opposed to a bottle, it, it is actually easier because you have the bit where you've got the little candle at the bottom, so it's open. And then obviously you have the bit at the top that's also open, but slightly smaller than the rest of it. And it's then really easy to to attach things to the top and the bottom and get the balloons inside to make your your lungs but you know even if you don't have or you don't want to do all that the different crafts and stuff literally just get a balloon blow the balloon up let some air out at kind of different rates of squeezing and just see what happens and it's a very good representation of what's happening in the body um obviously with that, you don't have the diaphragm representation, which you will have with the kind of bottle of lungs uh, or lungs in a jar version. But it's it's still, it helps you really intuitively get a feel for something that you can only feel and you can't see. Mm. And I think that's one of the one of the huge problems with singing as well is it's it's one of the only crafts that you have to rely purely on your own physical perception of what's going on or your auditory perception of what's going on without seeing. I mean, surgeons can see what they're doing on the inside because they cut people open and they can actually see the stuff that they're working. So they got a, I'm not going to say they got an easier job, but (laughs) (laughs) they can at least see the thing that they're working with. We have to do it where we've got to feel stuff. And so if we externalize that in any way, that's a super, super useful thing for us as singers. So like grabbing balloons, grabbing like straws and blowing bubbles into water, all of that kind of stuff is really great for connecting the brain and the body. And you're just going, oh, oh that's what happens. I really like that. And there's also, and um, forgive me, I forget the person who actually kind of introduced this activity. I know, I know Chris Johnson and Kerry Obert have, have spoken about it at different times, which is that um, using the balloon to test out the maximum phonation threshold, also kind of visualising that lung capacity with a balloon and measuring it. So you, you explain in your book how we're looking to match the SOVT configuration to similar to that the buildup of the subglottic pressure so that pressure coming up from beneath the vocal the vocal folds themselves so why is that and what happens if we choose an sovt that is more than the subglottic pressure or opposite less. less yeah yeah so the reason why we want to match subglottal pressure or the, the way we sort of refer to it uh, in the book is phonation threshold pressure, um, is if we create a system that provides the same amount of energy from above the vocal folds and below the vocal folds, then we just cancel that pressure out. It's, it's equalized at that point, and so it sort of has no effect. And so the vocal folds are just left there in the middle of those two pressure systems And they're just super chilled out because they no longer have to resist all of that pressure coming from the lungs from when we squeeze the lungs and we increase the pressure and we kind of have that build up. They don't have to resist that themselves with pure mechanical effort because the pressure from above is such that it equalizes the pressure from below. And when, when, when that happens, basically it's just like they they don't they're not there at all so at that point we would say that that system is in its most efficient state because the vocal folds are free to do whatever they want to do however they want to do it without having all of the extra stuff that they've got to worry about now if we decide that we want to adjust that balance to either increase or decrease from that phonation threshold pressure, we can do different things. So 
let's take the instance of increasing our resistance from our baseline phonation threshold pressure. That then creates an environment where the pressure above the vocal folds coming from the straw is more than the pressure coming from the lungs. Now, if we're within a, you know, a certain degree, that's, that's fine. If it's extreme differences, then the vocal folds will start to resist the pressure from above more so than below, and then it's not efficient anymore and it doesn't, it doesn't work as well. But if we just increase it slightly so that there's a, still an, a, a level of um, resisting pressure from below, but now the vocal folds are loaded slightly differently, then it becomes a situation of we're an athlete in a gym and instead of lifting weights that we feel are comfortable for us, we're now lifting weights that are just a little bit more than our comfort zone. And so we can start to build muscle. We start to build strength and we start to build, uh, you know, all of the other things that go along with the athletic element of training the voice with weights. If, however, we decrease the resistance so that the resistance from above the vocal folds is not as much as from below, we also get a similar effect because now the vocal folds are resisting more from below than they are above. So they're still working the same, but we now put the vocal folds in a slightly more therapeutic posture because the stuff from above isn't as loading as if we were to increase. And so what we can do then is if we decide that, you know, we want to put the straw in water, for instance, and we start to generate bubbles in the water, we create oscillations in that pressure. So the vocal folds, then we get balanced pressure and then something slightly different and then balanced pressure and then slightly different or a little bit high pressure, a little bit low pressure, a little bit high pressure, a little bit low pressure, which causes the vocal tract to subtly expand and contract. It causes the vocal folds to subtly push and pull, and it generates what we call the massage effect. And so it's essentially like somebody putting their hands in your throat and giving it a massage without the awkward uncomfortableness of somebody putting their hands in your throat and giving it a massage. Um, but, but it's really cool because now we create a system by which we're just slightly less than we need, but occasionally we'll bounce up to balanced and then off of balance to athletic and then up to balance and off of balance to athletic, all while allowing this subglottal pressure to be released through the system. So it's more of that therapeutic mechanism. So balanced pressure, balancing, so equalizing the pressure that our straw can provide with phonation threshold pressure or subglottal pressure is great for creating the most efficient phonatory environment for us. Deviating from that can put us in a position of more athletic or more therapeutic, depending on if we use it with other stuff as well. So, yeah, that's kind of why we want to at least start in a position of we are optimized. We know that whatever we do with the you know the straw that we've chosen is balanced to what our voice needs and then we can decide if we want to go either way the trick is or i suppose the tricky problem is subglottal pressure or phonation threshold pressure is so variable mm. like it will you know if we increase in pitch and that, what's nice is this is one of the only relationships that perhaps isn't inverse. Yay! If we increase in pitch, <laughs> um, then phonation threshold pressure typically will also increase. Um, so what does that mean to kind of like a layman? Well, as we get higher in pitch, generally, we might have to do a little bit more work from the body to increase the amount of phonation threshold pressure we have in order to get the vocal folds moving um, to make to make that sound, other things can can increase or decrease phonation threshold pressure. Like if you're vocally tired and fatigued, if the muscles just are so exhausted they don't want to do anything, they ain't gonna do anything. <laughs> and so in those instances, phonation threshold pressure will have increased as well. Now, if we pick a straw configuration that matches whatever that phonation threshold pressure is, 
then we've created an efficiently balanced system. And then again, we can decide if we're perhaps fatigued, let's just move a little bit off of that balance to lower, but put it in the water so we get that massaging effect. Or if we are you know, training higher in pitch and we really just want to build that strength and athletic coordination, let's just increase it ever so slightly and allow the vocal folds to start building that kind of gym-based weightlifting strength training, uh, but but crucially still keeping within our, our sort of relative comfort zone. Mm. We never want to go to the extremes um, unless we're doing testing and configuration understanding, but we never want to train in the extremes because we're going to be either overloading the voice or underloading the voice and neither are particularly good Mm. so it's all about keeping in that relative comfort zone that's Mm. also you know take it it takes into account actually what is our need for Mm. this specific vocal task it's really important to remember that when we want to do something therapeutic we only want to decrease the resistance of the straw we don't generally want to increase the resistance from the straw because we want to get the airflow out of the body efficiently and the way that we do that is by having subglottal pressure greater than supraglottal pressure or above the vocal folds so that the airflow direction is outward when we have the oscillating pressure it doesn't matter so much for the athletic stuff because the vocal folds are doing the loading and we always have the the direction of flow as outward. Um, so that's just kind of like the little um, uh, kind of like highlight point. Athletic stuff, you can go either way. Um, just depends what you want to do. And non-athletic stuff, you want to go under slightly. I, I have encountered people as well that find... And, and most people will find that they prefer either increasing or decreasing pressure. Um, if you increase the pressure, some people will find that it creates too much kind of of this balloon expansion effect and it doesn't feel comfortable mm. despite it providing the level of loading that they would need. Um, and they feel like, you know, perhaps they're not doing as much work from the body or whatever. Whereas people that underload resistance might find that actually there isn't as much of a sensation here and they have to do much more work from the body to create uh, balance. But either way, they are still creating a situation of athleticism. It just really depends on how people feel. But the crucial, the crucial thing to keep in mind is if something doesn't feel comfortable, don't do it. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about like comfort as in, you know, if you feel a little bit of pressure, it's, probably still going to be comfortable but it might feel a bit weird i'm talking like if something really doesn't feel comfortable then don't do it um but if something feels a little bit strange and a little bit funny you know you're probably still within your good zone Mm -hmm. and is that kind of the sign if some if, if a singer says i really feel like i have to push through to get this sound out is that kind of more towards the right that's too much resistance we need to bring that down a bit yeah. So again, it, it can kind of go either way, depending on like who you're working with and, and what their experiences of their own body. Typically, we will find that, yeah, if you've got to put so much into it and you see like all of the extrinsic muscles and you see everything kind of, kind of tensing up, then we would say, okay, you've probably got too much resistance. However, if you see somebody that is putting a lot of effort from the body, but they're isn't too much tension of the uh of the facial muscles and and the and the other muscles then it might be that the resistance is too low that they have to do a lot more work from the body just to get anything happening because we're we're not providing enough pressure Mm. so it can go either way i would argue both are not particularly comfortable but as an as a teacher we can see those visual cues as to yeah, we could probably say, you know, if you see a lot of muscle engagement and everything looks tense, you probably got too much pressure going on. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's it's very much kind of working with the individual and getting a feel for what their response is to the straw. And we actually, you might find that people don't really know what they feel. And... Again, it comes back to 
we are doing, we are manipulating systems purely by feeling them. We cannot see them. We can hear an output, but we can have the same output for 10, 15, 20, 100 different techniques to create that sound. Mm. And so I like, I like, I really like trying to work with singers on externalizing those visual cues like we explored earlier with getting them to blow into a balloon or getting them to blow bubbles into water or having like a piece of paper and blowing onto that piece of paper so they can see how it moves and, and stuff like that, feeling things, touching things and making sure that, you know, if you're touching the throat and you're feeling everything around, it feels relatively relaxed to the touch. If you can feel that things are sticking out and jutting out and you've got a lot of tension, then that's also a really good cue. Looking at yourself in a mirror so you can see the effect of... Uh, the visual effect of the body based on how you're operating the straw and stuff like that. So mm. it's it's all about creating as many additional sensory cues as possible to aid in the internal feeling of using a straw yeah. and all the sensations, the new sensations that come along with that. Mm, yeah, really building that self-awareness. Um, because as you say, it's so sensation-based that I mean, half the time we can be like uh, in creating habits. I mean, even just I, I used to have a habit of biting my cheek, but I never knew yeah. until someone would go, "Why are you pulling that face?" I'd be like, "Am yeah. I?" <laughs> and it's like, "Oh yeah," because I'm continuing, and, and we don't know that. Um, yeah, and yeah. and then we bring these kind of a, a, awarenesses to our into our bodies, and we start to go, "Oh yes, I do do that, and I do feel that, and I can see that, and mm. it changes our whole experience of singing." Yeah, for sure. When I first started training as well, I had a similar thing. Like I would have a head tilt. So my, I, I would just tilt my head like 45 degrees when I'm singing for literally no reason. And my, I think it's because I'm so tall that whenever I go through like doorways and stuff, I always have to like <laughs> duck and do stuff. But like, I didn't know that I did it. And so when I was, you know, in, in, my, in my very early singing lessons, my teacher would literally like, like clamp my head and they're like no <laughs> like and and it wasn't until i had some external factor giving me some additional sensory input that i was like oh i can feel that i have some some tilt going on mm-hmm. and that's also kind of what the straw helps with as well it it provides after we get over the how do we actually feel what's going on with the straw component once we understand what the straw feels like it can give us that extra layer of sensory feedback because we can discover very quickly if our voice was tired, for instance, you know, if we're, if we're singing without the straw and then we put the straw in place and we're singing and it feels so much better then we can kind of take from that, that whatever we were doing without the straw either wasn't as efficient as it could have been, or, you know, perhaps we were vocally fatigued or, you know, whatever it might be. So it does provide us with a lot of additional sensory Uh, benefits that can aid singers in understanding more about their own bodies and the way they produce sound in order to kind of give them a platform of we can just change things up do a little bit of trial and error and find something that feels even better and then obviously replicate that without the straw Mm. so yeah i'm I'm big on um sensory feedback and just Mm feeling what's going on seeing what's going on hearing what's going on just getting really involved in in the body Mm. it's that mindfulness yeah yeah i really like that and just to touch on some terminology um is subglottal pressure and the phonation threshold pressure are they interchangeable in their meaning or do they mean different things do they relate to the same sort of idea yeah so they they sort of relate to the same um idea but one it explains a function so subglottal pressure is any pressure building up beneath the vocal folds mm-hmm. phonation threshold pressure is the minimum level of subglottal pressure needed to start sound production wow. so i know people interchange them um but ptp phonation threshold pl- pressure explains the function of subglottal pressure in producing or in starting sound production. 
Let's chat about your SOVT straw, your product, your baby. Um, So how did this come about? um, And how does it kind of differ from the other products on on the market? So we kind of have your your typical shop bought Mm. horrendously awful plastic straws um, and then the metal straws and then the paper straws. And we've got the voice straw. Uh, How how does that differ? Yeah, so... One of the big things that I think people will very quickly discover with me is I don't think in any aspect of life that there's a one-size-fits-all approach, because there isn't. Everybody is so unique in everything. You know, If you just watch the cars driving by, you'll see a different car drive by. And it's because you know somebody might have a family and they need a bigger car. Somebody might like the color red. Somebody might want a really small car that they can you know zip around in. Somebody might want an electric car that is great for driving into London and the low emission zone. You know whatever it is, people have different needs and different requirements. And the same is true with straw formation and singing. Everybody is anatomically unique, with I suppose the exception of identical twins, but that's a separate topic. Um, and Therefore, everybody has different requirements. People will have different lung capacities and different lung capacities will, by default, change your phonation threshold pressure. So the minimum pressure that we can uh, generate, uh, use to generate sound. The same is true. People have different vocal fold sizes, vocal tract lengths, that all changes PTP as well. And the, the thing about straws is if you pick up a fixed diameter, fixed length straw from a supermarket, let's say it's you know 10 centimeters long and it's five millimeters in diameter, that straw by default will have a resistance value. And if we give that straw with that one resistance value to 10 unique people, it is very unlikely that that resistance value is going to match phonation threshold pressure for each of those people. And that's a problem because... We see a lot of teachers and, uh, you know, singers as well that don't quite understand the technique going and buying normal straws or fixed length and fixed diameter straws and applying it to their voice or applying it to their student's voice in exactly the same way. But we've just discovered earlier that if we do that, if that straw is too much relative to that individual's phonation threshold pressure, then it's going to be providing potentially too much resistance that might result in inefficiency. If it provides too little, again, we, we result in inefficiency. And depending on which way we go, you know, too little resistance isn't as bad as too much resistance, but either way, it's not great. And so the idea then is I wanted to create a product that could be you know, multiple straws in one So multiple resistance configurations in one so that a singer could pick up that straw, configure it to their voice and have something efficient. Or that same singer could take that straw that they have, change its configuration to be better for a particular task that they want to achieve. And so, you know, obviously, if we pick up that one straw and let's assume it works well for that person at their baseline phonation threshold pressure, if they decide they want to go higher in pitch or they want to go lower and they want to do different vocal tasks, that straw will no longer function efficiently for them. Mm-hmm. So it's very much about fixed diameter, fixed length straw are only good for a very, 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 very small subset collection of vocal tasks and people. Mm-hmm. And that's not representative of the world and the variability we have. Um, and so it was just about providing something that can have as many different configurations as possible in one device so that everybody can use it, no matter who they are or what task that they're doing. And then also there's the nice sustainability aspects. It's made of um, food grade stainless steel. We haven't got to waste a million. Can you imagine how much wastage we would have if each person had to have 20 different straws for all the 20 different vocal tasks they want to do? It's just... It, it, it's it's massive and it's, it's it's excessive and there was a simpler solution mm. um and, and what's cool is with um all of the new attachments and stuff that we have we have over well it's actually so the way we phrase it is we have a minimum 
of 40 resistance configurations from one device. And the reason why it's a minimum is because technically it's infinite configurations because we have variable length and, and aperture. And as you change that variability, you'll get a new resistance configuration. Um, so it is technically infinite, but we've managed to reduce it down to, we can say that at least there are 40 unique configurations that you can achieve with this at the minimum uh, level, which is great because that covers a lot of um, a lot of parameters, mm -hmm. a lot of variability. Um, typically, we see uh, so we measure resistance for uh, this type of stuff in what we call CMH2O, centimeters of water of pressure. Mm -hmm. For anybody that doesn't know what that is, basically, it's a unit of pressure me uh, measurement that just uses depth of water. Mm -hmm. So if you were to go, let's say, 10 centimeters into water and have all of that weight of water above you providing pressure and you kind of let an air pocket escape and you have a straw that is also 10 centimeters of water of pressure in its resistance, then we would say that straw is equal to being 10 centimeters deep into water. Now, uh, we know that human phonation cannot occur really above sort of 40 CMH2O. We also know that humans typically phonate in kind of a, a phonatory range sort of between sort of like eight and about sort of 16 CMH2O, kind of just very broad numbers. And so our devices can provide resistances a lot of resistances in that kind of human phonatory range and then additional resistances that are above and below that for the kind of outliers that might have you know different anatomical circumstances that would result in actually they can have more pressure or, or less pressure you know whatever it is so yeah it's um it's just something i wanted to create that was useful to everybody and not just one person for one very specific task and and that's you know that's the problem with honestly quite quite literally everything else on the market because they are fixed straws of fixed length and fixed diameter mm. um, that you can only use so much with. Mm. Uh, so yeah, it's been a very cool journey to get here. Like insane, all the different challenges and hurdles we've had to go through in in designing a product like this. Yeah, um, you know from learning new software and and i went and learned engineering uh principles uh to learning and understanding the manufacturing process how to actually take a concept into a design form that a factory can understand and go oh okay i need xyz raw materials in order to create this thing as opposed to me just going here's the thing that i want make it please and they're like <laughs> you know we don't know how so it's it, this, it's been so cool and so interesting to learn this uh, field and to learn this area that I think, honestly, I think more people should kind of get into this kind of stuff just as a dip your toes in kind of thing, because I, I have learned so much about life and mm. business and health and obviously, you know, science and new sciences and math and, and all sorts um, and it, it, it's really cool to be able to take that and to apply that to, to other things. But mm. anyway, you know, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a cool process. It's, mm. it's been fun. Yeah, it really sounds it. And, and did you enjoy the kind of engineering side? Did you, did you know that that was an interest of yours anyway? Yeah. So when I was at uni, I went to uni to study neuropsychology and music. Um, and Whilst I was at uni, I mean, you'll, you'll read it in the book, but I, I had some um, health stuff that was going on at the time. And uh, I had a couple of operations. And as a result of that, the, the tech that they used in those procedures was like archaic. It hadn't been updated or changed in, you know, since the 60s or whatever. And I, for some reason, something just clicked in me and I was like, I got to I got to do something about this. Um. And I just reached out to the engineering department at my uni and I was like, hey, this is the thing that I'm going through. This is the, the solutions that I 
propose is there any way i can just sit in on some lectures um and just you know like just get some experience in in engineering to see if this is an area that i could tangibly pursue and the the uh program leader literally came back to me within like a matter of hours and they were like hey uh we want to we want to have you like we want to mentor you we want to we want to help you um and so i i i learned how to use uh, computer-aided design, uh, CAD software, which is how we design things uh, on the computer in 3D kind of engineering stuff. Um, I went back to school and relearn, you know, like high school math. And then beyond that, um, I picked up every engineering book I could possibly find. And it, it very quickly became something that I really enjoyed. I really enjoy problem solving, I think, and finding unique solutions to problems. And at the time I was having singing lessons and I encountered straw fernation and I was like, oh, okay, this is a new problem to solve. Mm. Um, I got challenged by the teacher that I had at the time to kind of get into this field. Uh, and, I, and I kind of took those engineering principles that I had been working on and learning about for all the kind of medical stuff that I was doing. And I was like, this can really be something that can help singers and singing teachers. And it, I, it, could, it could really make a difference. Um, and, you know, I had some terrible, terrible design ideas to begin with. And part of the engineering process is you have a design, you test it, you iterate, and you have a new design, you test and you iterate, and you continue to do so until you have something that is optimal for the task that you're doing. Um, by that point, I was a friend of mine is um, uh, an aerospace engineer that works for the military. And so he jumped on board, um, which is cool, because I can obviously now say that the uh, products that we've designed have been designed by uh, an aerospace engineer, which is, which is pretty yeah. cool. Um, so he managed to take my concepts and my designs and put them in a format that a factory can understand. Because yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't know that bit at that point. And it was like, you, there's a lot of, of work that goes into creating those schematics and those engineering drawings. And I mean, they look stunning. Um, but it's that was something for me that I was like, I want to make sure we do that properly. Because if we're starting to spend money on manufacturing... I don't want to have that part of the process, you know, wasted money on on a on a product that isn't quite the specification that we had. So and no I time to go to art far. school and trying to learn how to draw engineering <laughs> art. <laughs> this is true. This is true. I didn't have no. I don't have the money for that either. <laughs> but but it, you know it it, it it absolutely was a process that I enjoyed, and it was a process that I think had I. Genuinely, honestly, had I had better schooling and career advice at school, I probably would have gone into engineering straight away. Mm. I originally was going to go to uni and do graphic design. Mm. And then I switched at the last minute to do psychology. And then a year or so into my psychology degree, I switched into neuropsychology and music. I just can't set, I can't sit still. I can't settle. I'm always want to, you know, do new things and learn new things. Uh, but yeah, I think engineering... Uh, or product design or something around that is where I would have liked to have been from the beginning. Mm. But, you know, I'm not complaining. I'm, I'm happy with this journey and it, it's been really fun. And it's it's cool to have something, once again, that was in my brain and now is a physical product that yeah. multiple people have. And, you know, tens of hundreds of people are using it mm. um, and benefiting from it, which is crucial for me. Mm. Um, it, yeah, it's it's really, really cool to see how people have, how their lives have been impacted or how their singing's improved or, you know, they've had a vocal health problem and they've been using it and, and it's completely kind of changed their voice. It's, it's mm -hmm. really cool to see all of that. And I think, yeah, it's, it's a really special feeling to know that something that you have created has gone on to help so many people. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's that cool. seems really that seems really cool and just for a scenario based thing here say that singer has forgotten their straw or they they hasn't been delivered yet or whatever it might be um if they want that feeling 
Do the other SAVTs that we have in our toolbox, like puffy cheeks or or lip trills, tongue trills, tongue raspberries, whatever you want to call them, can they be still as helpful? Yeah, absolutely. So there's there's an you've just got to go through a process of you know I guess configuring it, and so you could technically still use regular straws. That is totally fine. You just have to play about with those straws and experiment with them until you find a particular length or diameter size that fits with what your voice needs. Mm -hmm. And it might take you a couple of straws to get there. It might take you 500 straws to get there, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, so you, you can, you can absolutely do it. It's actually, I think slightly easier to find something more intuitively um, with, you know, those lip trills and, and fricatives and stuff because you're you're actively doing something and you can make very quick changes internally to find something that works for you. Mm-hmm. You'll never get the same level of resistance or replicability of resistance that you can get by using a straw. But in a pinch, you can get something that works pretty well for you, feels pretty good, uh, and will we'll solve that problem. Um, I would just advise doing things like you know a, a standard pitch glide um, or revving the end of your heels and accents where you're doing small pitch glides like a and just play about with stuff you know manipulate the tongue with the fricative manipulate the closure of the lips all of that kind of stuff if you're doing it with a different straw or a bunch of different straws take each straw that you try and compare them between each other doing pitch glides and fricatives uh, sorry, pitch glides and, and hills and accents until again you find something that feels, you know, relatively comfortable for you. So, you know, it is possible. It, it is doable, absolutely. But you just don't get that same level of effect and the same reliability in the output that you're getting back. Um, but yeah, you know, if you haven't got a straw and, and you, or you don't have access to one, I think fricatives are probably the way to go. Yeah. They're very easy and very, very good for you. Mm. So, Yeah. Amazing. Oren, it's been so fun to chat to you. um, And thank you for your thoughts. Where can people find out more about you, more about your products and and get in touch with you if they want to know more? Yeah. So uh, our website, rayvox.co.uk kind of has everything and uh, that we do and, and all the interconnections and links to that um but also i'm, I'm pretty active on instagram as well which is uh, at sovt straw those are kind of the two primary places people can find and chat with me awesome well i will absolutely let you know when i finish the book um but yes thank you so much for joining me today my pleasure thank you so much for having me this this really fun Dear fellow Curious Voice Nerd, have you got your ticket to our next event yet? Well, head over to www.basstraining.com forward slash store and we'll save you a seat. That's www.bastraining.com forward slash store. Don't worry, you haven't totally missed out on our past events. A recording is waiting for you there too. You probably want to sign up to our mailing list though, just to make sure you never miss another cordial invitation. So follow the link in our podcast description to join. See you at the next one.